Well, let me uh, open us up in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for these men and for the opportunity to come and share and to sing and to sing of uh, your holiness. Father, this morning we, uh, we want to honor you with all that we say and do. Uh, we want uh, you to be glorified. And Father, may we walk out of here today closer to you than when we walked in. Uh, Father, for any that are here as guests this morning, we welcome them and thank you for them. And pray, Father, that this experience would be a, a joyful one for them. Lord, we love you and we praise you and thank you for all that you do for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, guys, this morning is going to be slightly different. Um, we've got uh, a little bit different kind of agenda. But we're going to continue with our, our discussion on calling and, you know, have you ever wondered if you've been called to something? You know, is that really something I'm called to do? Is that really what I should be doing? Usually it happens when somebody asks you to do something and, gee, I don't know if that's my calling. And you've heard that, the, the phrase, you've missed your calling. Well, last week I told you guys that you needed to come and, and see Beauty and the Beast. Many of you did. Um, I'm going to show you a short clip to show you what it means to have not missed your calling. Um, as you know, I was, I was in it and, uh, it was a painful experience and Chris was in it as well. And, and we had a lot of guys in the room who served behind stage and actually some were on stage, but I'm just going to expose myself and show you this just to show you what I am not called to be an actor, but go ahead, Chris. Okay. Those of you who don't know, the uh, the clock was uh, Chris Childs, and uh, it was a, it was an interesting experience to say the least. But uh, some people are called to be actors, some aren't. You know, it's funny to to be in this thing and and to be around. Uh, uh, Luann Stumbo and Paul Stumbo and John Cyrus, who played Lumiere, and and I mean, I mean, they are so incredibly talented. Noel Allen and they couldn't wait to get on the stage. I mean, they were in the wings, just dying to get on the stage. I'm backstage, ready to puke. You know, just thinking, I I I I, I don't want this to even happen. But they are so into it, and they loved it, and of course it showed. Some people are called to be actors. I'm not one of them. Uh, but one of the things we tried to do right before the, the whole show started was to dedicate this to God and just say, hey, whatever happens, this is his. And as we talked two weeks ago, do it for an audience of one. And we really felt like that's what happened, that we really did this for him. And no matter what your calling is, we did it for his glory and for his honor. But, you know, one of the things I want to talk about this morning as we continue this, this talk about your calling and getting in the game and hearing the call of God and accepting the call of God and following the call of God is last week we looked at a verse in Colossians and it talks about whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God and do it all in the name of Christ. And the question I want to ask is, what have you done in the name of Jesus lately? What have you done in the name of Jesus lately? 
And I want to take just a few minutes and look at Matthew chapter 25. If you got your Bibles, open up there. There are no handouts this morning. You'll see why in a minute. Matthew chapter 25. In Colossians 3.17, you don't have to flip there, it's on the screen. We looked at this verse last week. Listen to what it says. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Whatever you do. And we determined that that word in the Greek, whatever, means what? Whatever. Whatever you do. Doesn't matter what you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, what have you done in the name of the Lord Jesus lately? Well, over in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31, this is, this is the Lord speaking, and this really is an end times um, passage, but I think it has a lot to do with you and I even today. And, and what I want to look at specifically, look at verse uh, 34. Then the king will come and say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then listen to what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And here's the key. The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. What have you done in the name of Jesus lately? You know, we we tend to think... It has to be something grandiose. It has to be something extremely spiritual. It has to be preaching in front of thousands. It has to be going overseas in the mission field. It has to be something spectacular. But if you look at this passage, what what does Jesus say? He says, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. You know, that's not real spectacular. Somebody was hungry, you met the need. He goes on and says, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. See, these are not spectacular things. These are not out of the ordinary things. These are not something you have to have a seminary degree to do. These are everyday things that anybody in this room could do. But what makes them different? They're done in the name of Jesus. They're done in the name of Jesus. I was in prison, you came to me. And he says in verse 40 again, truly I say to you, to the extent you did it to one of these, my brothers, the least of them, you did it to me. You know, one of the the reasons we're doing this topic to begin with is that I firmly believe that every one of you guys is called. Called, first of all, to a relationship with God. Secondly, to live out that relationship every day of your life so that everything you do, every aspect of your life, your work life, your home life, if you're a dad, being a parent, if you're a husband, being being a husband, whatever you do is done for His glory and according to His will. Everything. And, you know, we're in our church, we're in the middle of a fall campaign. And one of the things we've got is there's all kinds of service projects you could be doing. 
There's ways you could be serving both inside our church, outside our church, helping at places like Hope Farm, you know, ministering outside of yourself. And that's something I feel like God is calling every one of us to do. And that list we just looked at, what have you done in the name of Jesus lately? Well, this morning, I want to I want to bring up someone who I think has epitomized that attitude. Um, you've heard from me and you've heard me talk. I want you to hear from one of your own. And so I've asked David Breedlove. He's going to come up and share with you how he has felt God's call in his life, how he has responded to that call and what it's done to his life and what God is doing through his life. And so I'm going to turn it over to David, and he's going to share a little bit about God's call. And I've told him to keep it brief. And as you can see, he's bigger than I am, so I may need help getting him off the stage in a few minutes. But, David? Thanks. Go for it. Can, uh, yeah, thanks. I'm just really glad to get to watch that video. Know that you haven't missed your calling either, buddy. Is that about right? Okay. If you would turn with me to Isaiah fifty eight. Starting in verse 6. It says, uh, Is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the, the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then. Everybody say, then. All right. It's time to wake up. This is going to be a little bit interactive. Everybody say, then. Okay. Then. Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then, everybody say then. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then, then your light will rise in the darkness. And your night will become like the noonday. Let's pray. Lord, I just invite you here. I ask that you would hover over this place and that you would just be glorified. I ask that I would be nothing. I am nothing. You are everything. And if I uh, 
say anything today that would even appear to take credit for what you've done, Lord. I ask that you would, that you would humiliate me. Make me forgettable and make yourself unforgettable. And help us to remember, Lord. Help us to remember what you've done for us. And help today to be an altar of stones that I can build for you to commemorate the ground that you claimed for me and our family. And that that would give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm pumped about the sports outreach. I'm just telling you right now. And uh, I think we ought to start with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, okay? So I think we'll beat Josh. Josh, stand up. Josh does Jiu-Jitsu with me. See, he's not a small man. And uh, we'll be down in the <laughs> on the couch in the room when the discussion happens. Uh, now that I've got the podium, I kind of need to clear the air about something. I'm just going to get it out in the open, to be honest. Uh, I've got a thing called cauliflower ear. And it's uh, kind of an elephant in the room when I'm around, and I'm just going to go ahead and deal with it. Uh, it's kind of like talking to somebody when they have a mole in the middle of the forehead, and you're not going to not stare at the mole. And I catch people all the time, they can't stop staring at the ear. So... I'm going to go ahead and tell you that for the rest of the time that I'm up here, you can go ahead and just stare at the ear. I'm letting you off the hook. Um, and uh, that's what Ken asked me to start with. So <laughs> I wanted to keep it at a high level today. Uh, cauliflower ear actually comes from wrestling. Uh, a lot of you guys who wrestled know about cauliflower ear or from Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And it comes from, you know, banging heads or elbows and uh, you know, fluid builds up, and then you don't do anything about it, and then you try to get it drained out, and then it turns into bone eventually and calcifies, and then it becomes kind of a big old knob. And uh, you know, but before I sound like a total barbarian, there's actually a very spiritual element to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, okay? And uh, it's called submission. So. In order to be a, a good jiu-jitsu fighter, you have to, uh, you don't just, it's not really about being tough as much as knowing when you're defeated so that stuff doesn't get broken on your body and you can learn to f- and fight another day. And the way that jiu-jitsu works is that you attack weak spots on the body. So like elbows, shoulders, neck, chokes, and knees and ankles, things like that. And uh, Actually, the toughest part about new guys coming into jiu-jitsu is for them to learn when to submit when they're caught. Because you can be caught in a really bad position and you may not know it. You try to fight out of that and your, your, your elbow gets hyperextended. So that's kind of how jiu-jitsu works. And the key is submission. If you don't submit, things break. And they break in kind of a spectacular way. Uh, And that's kind of what I want to talk about today, is how things break when we get outside of God's design for our life. You know, pain has a purpose. Pain is there to tell us when we're out of line. Uh, It can also remind you that you're still alive, and that's good. I've clung to pain in that regard many times. Uh, 
in the last 10 years, uh, I've had, uh, between football and jiu-jitsu, I've had uh, torn ACL and MCL knee ligaments and messed my shoulder up and blown my elbow out and crushed it and ankles uh, that got messed up and, you know, passed out from being choked because I didn't submit. And the problem with me is I'm kind of slow, right? And you're picking up on that. And I... Uh, I didn't submit in time. I didn't say uncle in time. The way that we submit in jiu-jitsu is you tap, which is another way of saying I'm totally beaten, and before you break something on my body, I I give up. And if you think at this point that I'm kind of a blockhead or a throwback or kind of a caveman, you're paying attention, and I appreciate that. You know, sometimes I just try to do things that the human body wasn't created to do. And that doesn't work good with jiu-jitsu because it's about precision and about points of no return. And that's kind of been a pattern in my life. I uh, just wanted to share some things that happened in our life today. And I'm not going to get into, Kelly said, are you going into the deep guts or are you just kind of going into the outer guts? And so I'm going to kind of do the outer guts. I don't want to go too deep with, with how bad things were at times. But um, let's just say that there's been a pattern in my life and I'm trying to change that. And I guess if I look back about seven years ago, from the world's perspective, we, we looked like we had it all. We had the big house on the golf course, and we had one child with two more soon to come. Um, had a big income, lots of stuff, um, millions of dollars in the business pipeline that was due to arrive in months. Had invested in several business deals that looked like they were going to be a home run. Um, we were doing all the charitable stuff, lots of Christian charity boards. We were tithing. We were doing a lot of, of the right stuff, okay? And most of the time, I was even giving God a lot of the credit. Uh, but the truth is that for the first eight years of my marriage, the focus of what my life was probably about was asking God to change my wife and to change my marriage. And... I can't think of how many times I looked up at the sky and I said, you know, God, why is it so hard? You know, we've got all these things and, and it, it's all looking good. It's a beautiful picture and it just looks like it's going to get better. And what's going on here? Why is it so hard? Why is it so tough? I finally started to realize that there was something standing between me and God and it wasn't my wife. It was actually my perception of my life. And... It was a multifaceted problem. It had to do with every dimension of my life. It was pride, money was between he and I, success, prestige. I mean, at the age of 30, I had all the stuff that sounds like what a successful life was supposed to look like. I had physical health. I was doing jiu-jitsu and competing in winning tournaments, and that was a fun thing for me to do after football. It ended at TCU. Um, pretty much had it by the tail. And I sat down one night. I've always had this kind of unique relationship with God where I felt like he's had this this really special calling on my life and I knew that I was not where I was supposed to be. So I sat down on our couch in this giant living room and you know I sat there and I just said, God, you know, I've just got a feeling there's something between us and if there's something between us, would you just remove it? I don't know about you guys, but I've prayed before and asked for things. And it, sometimes it took a really long time for those prayers to be answered. 
this was not one of those times. This is one of those times when the moment I said amen, you could hear, you could hear the giant sucking sound start. And it was amazing to see what happened in the following months. We uh, happened to have at that time another house over in Monticello that wouldn't sell. And we needed to make about $40,000 worth of repairs on both of those houses between the two. That was a lot of money for me, and that was kind of painful, but okay, we can do that. Things are good. Then it started to get interesting. Uh, this capital market started to dry up, and the downturn in the stock market, you guys probably remember 2000 and 1999, and the IPO market dried up. Uh, a few million dollars of, of revenue that was supposed to be coming through dried up. Federal Reserve started changing the way they were lending money to people that we were doing business with. And kind of just this cascading effect started to take place. But I'm still holding on strong, right? Because I got it all together and I'm the kind of guy that can just heroically ride in on the horse and save the day. I just need to work myself out of the hole. So uh, I felt like I still had it under control. And then I ruptured a disc in my back. And, you know, it's funny how something that big around and about that thick can totally change the way you do stuff. It can change the way you sit, walk. It can force you into thinking things that you you would never think insanity. And it can cause pain that's unimaginable. And I know a lot of you guys have dealt with back pain and probably had a lot worse than I did. So, uh, but I started to realize that I was not immortal. And this little financial advisory firm that was just knocking it through the roof all of a sudden that was totally dependent upon me started to falter. I couldn't work. I was working less than 20 hours a week. Couldn't get in the office. Well, I still got it all together, right? Yeah, right. Then 9-11 hit, and I uh, just drove a stake through the capital markets that we were doing business with. Blew up the rest of my business pipeline, and basically for about two and a half years of work was just vanished, gone. So now we've jacked up our overhead and our lifestyle and the houses and all this stuff to meet what I think is going to satisfy our family, which is ridiculous, and now income is just gone. And so uh, about that time, actually, what a movie or a book had been written, and now a movie's come out called The Perfect Storm. You know, it's about this convergence of storms that come together on the eastern seaboard and create the perfect storm that's like the papa of all storms. Well, I call our situation the perfect stomp. So uh, I'll be referring to our love affair with pain and suffering through losing things is the perfect stomp for the rest of the day. Uh, so we started to lose things. We started to lose everything. Money started to go. We ended up realizing we couldn't stay in the house or houses. And, of course, there's a dip in the real estate market here, so we couldn't sell either one for about a year and a half. So we're bleeding money that way. And, you know, but we were, I was losing more than just stuff. I was starting to lose my sanity because I'm thinking, I had it all together. What in the world is going on? This is crazy. And I realized that God was answering my prayer because I had all this stuff, but it was between me and him. He drove these things from me because he loved me. And then when I thought it couldn't get any worse for us, the darkest time came. And... That's kind of a story for another time. That's kind of the inner guts. But let's just say that it was 
it was racked with addiction and desolation and, and pain. And uh, our marriage almost didn't make it. And I know a number of you guys were there and you walked with it through me or through it with me. Gary, Ken, um, I had some mighty men around me that helped me walk through the darkest time of my life. And I know what you're thinking now. You're thinking, yeah, but David, you prayed that God would deliver you or would remove stuff that's between you and him. And the problem is I just didn't know there was so much stuff between us. If I'd known that, I don't know if I'd prayed that prayer. If I'm being honest. So I, I clung to verses like, you know, I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Another verse, under the shadow of your wing, God, will be my refuge until this tyranny is passed. Under the shadow of your wing will be my refuge until this tyranny is passed. I mean, it felt like tyranny. If the name Adam rings a bell, then turn to Genesis 3.2. Now, I know everybody is really familiar with this passage, okay? So I'm not going to dwell here, and I'm not going to teach on this. What I'm going to do is just tell you about how I realized something. And if this blockhead can figure it out, then you guys have hope. So verse uh, verse 4, you know, the interaction. You can eat from the tree. No, God didn't say you couldn't eat from the tree. You know, blah, blah, the interaction. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be able to be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye, she took and ate it, and she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Okay, so stop right there. Uh, Did Adam cut off the snake's head? Because it was near his wife? Or did he uh, did he throw Eve over his shoulder, kicking and screaming, and run out of the garden and take her away from the snake? No, he stood there with her and watched her talk to the snake and took the food and ate the food, realized he'd done something wrong, and the first thing out of his mouth was verse... Uh, Twelve. The woman you gave me, God, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. The woman you gave me. Okay? Now, he's either blaming her or blaming God or both. And I think he's blaming both. Gee, I can relate to that. (laughs) Okay? This woman you gave me, God, we have all this stuff and it wasn't enough to satisfy her, so we've had a tough marriage. But if you would have just fixed her... It would all be enough, right? And if I'd just been the spiritual leader I need to be, that would be enough. But I wasn't the spiritual leader I needed to be. So for years I've been standing right by her, right by my wife, as she entered dangerous ground and interacted with danger. And she was under attack, and I was under attack, but standing by idly just watching as things unraveled. And then when she made mistakes, instead of taking responsibility... 
I looked up at the heavens and I said, God, this woman you gave me. I've got to take responsibility for that. And I was the one allowing the snake in and I wasn't leading my wife. So let me ask you a question. When you look up at the heavens and you're going through a trial or say it's, you're having a tough time with your wife. I know a lot of guys that are right now. It seems like I talked to a lot of them. Um, they've seen what we've gone through and they don't want to do the same thing. Okay, that's great. And I hope that's what happens out of today because my number one objective today is to honor the Lord and proclaim his glory and to thank him for what he's done for us. And if there's any way to save someone pain and suffering, that is my heart's desire. But if you look up at the heaven and you ask God, why is it so hard? Are you really willing to get the answer? Um, If you say, Lord, this woman you gave me or this life you gave me. A friend said to me the other day that he, he couldn't figure out why his wife couldn't meet his sexual needs for six to nine months at a time when they were having children. Okay. Well, I can understand that. I don't know any man in this room or any man I've ever met that doesn't have sexual needs. Okay? But the truth is, you know, I asked him, have you been pure in your marriage? Yes. Okay, that's good. Good answer. Have you, uh, did you ever have sex before you were married? Yes. Bad answer. Been there and done that. Screwed that up. Maybe, did you have sex with your wife before you were married? Yes. Okay. So two out of three, we're, we're missing the boat. And that's a pretty big boat. You know, God designed things with precision. He designed things for a purpose, for a reason. And when we get outside of that, then we don't deal with things the way that he's designed us to deal with them. And then we wonder why it's so hard. And then when we look at the person who's the object of our frustration in reality, we have created the situation that we're complaining about. I mean, you can't tell me that if you had been sexually pure before marriage, that you would not be able to deal with a month or two or three or six months of having to let your wife have a break when she was just not up for it or if you'd agreed for a time to not be intimate, okay? And the only way that I know that is because I've screwed that up. Everything that we have in front of us, everything we can see has a design, and there's a precision to it. And if we get scientific about it, I mean, one of the things we can find now is that science over the past 25 years has found that if you, they've got these microwaves that they've now traced, they've been able to track, that have come in, they're just coming from outer space, and they're trying to figure out what caused those microwaves. And over the last 25 years, they had this astounding breakthrough in secular science that those were heat waves that were radiating out from the original Big Bang. And if they traced everything back mathematically with the computer power they have now, they, they can trace everything back to a place, a point where, an infinitely small point where the universe began. And what they've said about that is not just that it all started at one finite point, but that there's no way that it could have expanded at the rate that it's expanded with the precision that it did and not have come from an intelligent design and a, and a first cause, God, okay? And as they map this, they've come to some astounding conclusions. And mathematically, let's just say, I'm just going to throw out a number. I was an accounting major, so 10 to the 60th power, okay? That's a big number. 
I don't know how big that is. I wouldn't even know how to say that number. Okay, that's a too too large a number with 60 zeros behind it to describe. But if we have any hunters in the room, uh, the the scientist Jeffrey Pockinghorn, who's just brilliant, puts it into terms that even a caveman can understand, and he says that. Okay, so to get that in mathematical terms, if you were on one side of the universe, which we don't know how big it is really, but if it's, say it's almost a trillion light years big, and you're on one side, and you shoot at a one-inch target on the other side with a rifle and you hit it the first time, that's kind of the mathematical equivalent of 10 to the 60th power. So in other words, the odds of it happening with this little random chance are pretty small. And there's a sense of order about the universe. And what we've got to figure out is if, if we believe in, in the God of the universe who created us and who created us with precision and created the universe with precision, are you really going to go your own way if he's determined to take you his way? Because he's going to allow the very legs that carry you to be broken, if that's what it takes, to get you to the place he's designed for you. And I have figuratively had some stuff broken. One of my favorite authors is apologist Ravi Zacharias, and he says it a lot more elegantly. But he says that you will arrive at the place of God's choosing one way or another. If you fight him, he will bring you in kicking and screaming until you see the price you've paid along the way. Yeah, I think that's right. I've got some first-hand experience on that. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you hear the Lord calling you higher? And I, and I think there are probably two types of people in this room. There are some people in here that have already tuned me out and are catching up on BlackBerry email. And you know what? I don't blame you because I'd probably be doing the same thing. If I had mine, you know, wasn't sitting on the table. And uh, then there's some people who are going to tune me tune me out because they don't want to hear from a guy who's got cauliflower ear and has made a uh, perfect stomp out of his life. That's okay. But you know, if there's one guy in here, if there's one guy in here who knows what I'm talking about. When God is whispering to you and He's calling out to you. And you've been holding him at arm's length, but you know that you were created for something more. You know you were created for something higher. And you've been resisting that call on, his, on your life. If you, if you can relate to that at all, and 139 guys in here can't, that's okay with me. That's okay with me. My, my desire is to proclaim the glory of the Lord and that, that we would join together in, in taking him to the ends of the earth. I guess, I guess, you know, if I look back, going through the perfect stomp was probably the most awakening, profound moment in my life for all the reasons I've described. Because it, what it really did is it caused me to buckle my knees. And when I was at my lowest point, I was forced to realize that God, that Christ, was right beside me. And he wasn't standing there with a finger pointing down saying, David, you've mucked it up and you've made a mistake and you have just torched this deal that I gave you, this life I gave you. That's not what he was doing. There was a time I remember sitting on the couch one night and it was in one of the darkest moments and I literally couldn't move for like three hours, I think it was. I mean, I literally just lost track of time with my head like this. I couldn't fall asleep like that. I wanted to go to sleep. I wanted to just forget everything that was going on around me. And I just had this 
almost this, this sense that there were hands underneath my armpits. You know, and I weigh 250 pounds, so if uh, someone's going to reach like that and pick me up, they're going to have some, some strength, right? And I literally felt the pressure under my arms lift me to my feet. And I believe, I don't know if that was Christ incarnate, but I believe that God was trying to remind me that he was with me. And that I was going to have to kneel and sit for a time, but that there would be a time when he would raise me back up and he would help me stand again. And if you're going through a stomp, if you're going through a storm, I want to tell you that it will end. Now, how it ends may not be up to us, but it will end. And there will be a time when you can be raised up again. And the the way that that happens may be in how you respond and maybe determine how you respond to what's happening around you. Are you going to shake your hand at the sky like I did and say, this life you gave me, why is it so hard? This financial situation you gave me, why? Or run to him and submit. It'd be fun to say that uh, it's all roses now that we're kind of on the other side of the stomp. Um, but we're still recovering. We're still recovering from years, all those years of mistakes and, and bad timing. Um, I've got two ruptured discs in my back now. But as you can see, I can get around. Um, but the truth is, on a lot of days, that makes me want to pull my hair out. And uh, a couple of years ago, I got West Nile virus. Who gets? Has anyone in the room ever had West Nile virus? Okay. Nobody gets that. There were six cases the whole year here, and I was the first one. And when I went to the emergency room, they thought I was crazy. Who told you you have West Nile virus? The infectious disease specialist who examined me for two weeks told me that I have West Nile virus. That's not. We never see that. Okay, great. Thanks. It's very encouraging. Kelly has been, uh, she was last year diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Then they changed it to they don't think she has it, and now they're leaning back that way. But we really don't know. She does have some ongoing physical issues, though, and we can't figure out why. And, uh, you know, some of you guys were in the room four or five years ago. I think it was four years ago in the bubble across the street. I had, you know, I had a chance to grab the mic, and we were all able to share a praise or talk about something that was heavy on our heart. And I stood up, and I, and I stood there, and I had on something like I have on today with maybe the cufflinks and the tie, and I stood up there, and I remember saying that I may look like I've got it all together, but I, I'm a fake. And a lot, I have a life that's unraveling around me and a wife that I don't know if she's going to stay with me and a, a business that's you know cratered and all this stuff that's just blown up. And what was really amazing, that terrified me to say that, but I felt like I was going to bust open if I didn't get out of my chair and come say that. And over the years, what's been really amazing to me is that some of you guys have come up to me and talked to me about how you related to that. Awesome. It was worth it. It was worth it to get up there and say that. I can say this today, though. I still have on the suit, but I don't feel like a fake. And I just celebrated my anniversary, my 14th anniversary to the woman of my dreams. She seeks after God with all of her heart. 
and she's raising our kids with Christ at the center of everything. And I would just recently, I've been going to Central Asia, and I'm going to talk about that briefly and then, and then finish. But every day I was overseas, they were praying for me face down. And I know firsthand that only Christ, only the power of Christ can resurrect the human heart. That's the only thing. That's the only chance we've got. He resurrected us from the dead, from, from a dead life and a dead marriage. And he can do it for you too. And for some of you, he has done it. And I'm excited about hearing your testimonies. There's a, there's a thing in our family called stay up night. And my son Kent always wants to fall asleep on my chest when he was younger. And so we made stay up night. And now each one of my children have their own stay up night with me once a week. And it's really amazing. I mean, we do whatever they want to do. That's the deal. They do whatever. Dad does whatever they want to do. If it's wrestle and tickle fight, candy land. It's a tough game to get into. Uh, Making cookies. I got that one down. Uh, We've been doing that for six years now. And what's really amazing is the key to stay up night. We do whatever they want to do, but as things wind down, it's cuddle time. And what we do is we get on the couch and we watch whatever they want to watch and we cuddle until they fall asleep. And Kent's getting to weigh about 110 pounds. And so uh, it's getting tough to carry him to bed when he's asleep with a bad back. But we've got a really small place we live in. And that's okay because I don't have to walk very far. Every, every week, every day, almost one of them asks, how long do I stay up night? And it's not because I'm so cuddly. I think it's because we're all designed for fellowship. And we're all designed to have a relationship with our Father. And some of us don't have that earthly relationship. But your heavenly father, I'm here to tell you, if, I, if you don't hear another thing I say, he wants to have the deepest, most intimate relationship with you that you could ever possibly imagine. And you were created for that. And nothing in our lives will satisfy us until that is what we seek. Nothing. Nothing. I've tried it all. A lot of you guys have tried it all. It doesn't fill the void. A couple of years ago... I'm going to wrap it up pretty quick, but I was invited to go to Central Asia and uh, to go to Tajikistan and go to the high mountains and go to a people group called the Yagnab. And it, it was one of those things where going was not optional. And I was in a place with my life where I'd finally quit saying no to God. And I realized that there was only two ways, only two decisions, either be obedient through a series of events. God said, either go and be obedient or don't go and be disobedient. You choose. And there was no waiting for the kids to get older. There was no waiting for more money, more, you know, financial security. Uh, no waiting for, I was waiting for another back surgery at that time. No waiting for that. It was time to go. So uh, that's what we did. And we left on August of 06. And the coolest thing in my life, I think, was that Kelly was beside me the whole way. At first she was resistant, but finally she re- realized that I had to go. And she had to go with me. Uh, in spirit, she had to support me because we'd gone through too much stuff not to be together with the causes that God had called us to. Last year we went, we met a guy, we met a lot of people. And the farthest village we went to, there was a man we encountered in a, a supernatural way. The way we made it to the village, it was so difficult to get there. It was treacherous, dangerous. We almost, I mean, it was on the, the side of a cliff for in the dark for a long period of time hiking with backpacks on to try to get to this village but Sasha our team leader just said we've got to get there I don't know we just got to get there we got there eight they hosted us there are only two men in the whole village that's how small it was 
next morning we get up. So we've done nothing at this point to have any type of really relationship with these people. And through a series of things that happened, one of the men named Ali Shur saw an Avanja cube that we had left. We had one left. We'd taken 30. We had one left stuck in a backpack off to the side. And he said, tell me about that. And uh, I grabbed it, interpreter. We sat down. Troy Austin started filming. And we got video of, of this man for 25 minutes going through an understanding of what the gospel was and accepting Christ. That doesn't happen because of anything we did. God doesn't need us to do that. He doesn't need us. He invites us. He invites us into relationship. He invites us to go do things that are going to bring meaning and, and fulfillment to our lives because of him. And when we, I went back this year with another team and we trained to go. And when we got back, we found out, um, once we got to the high village, the high mountain area, that Ollie Shore had died last year. And this guy was 30 years old. And, you know, it was terrible to think that he's leaving a daughter behind, and, and that's, that's tragic. But what was amazing is to think that God knew that that was going to happen. He designed everything we're even looking at with precision. And yet he allowed us to go and encounter this man and be a part of him coming to Christ before the guy died. And I'm going to get to see him again. It's an amazing thought for me because what it reminded me is that in my trials and struggles and all the stuff that we've gone through, God is sovereign in that. And he brings us through those things because he loves us and he wants us to have an opportunity to tell our story and to be victorious. And so I think that if, if you'll stay with me another minute and then I'm going to close and then we're going to pray. But I think that God would say some things to you today that, and I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your, with your dad, but I, every night when I tuck my kids into bed, we pray and, and we've gotten pretty, pretty deep in our prayers. It's not as shallow as it used to be when they were younger. We've gone deeper because there's more at stake now. And I see more than I used to see. And I understand more about my role as a father in, in preparing and sharpening these arrows to be launched from our from our bow, and so the things we pray, I want to I want to I want to speak to you today because I think there's somebody in here that needs to hear that. And what I tell my kids and what we pray is that you know God loves you, and He created you for a purpose, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and He knew what you were going to be like before He ever put you in your mother's womb. And your number one responsibility is to give him glory and to tell your story about what he's done in your life and take it to the ends of the earth. And to take it to the ends of the earth, here and on the other side of the earth, but with the objective to give him glory. Not to try to win spiritual scalps, but to proclaim his glory because that is what infects people. Because we can't go claim anybody's spiritual uh, salvation. That's not something we can take. And then I continue on and I tell them that your number one objective is to love people well. That's how we demonstrate how we, how we, how we have God's love and blessing inside of us. And then I just tell them how awesome they are. And that God wants them to know that they are wonderful to him. And that's what I want you to hear today. So I, I appreciate you listening to me. I appreciate you letting me tell my story. Because a lot of you guys are part of it. And... 
as we close, I think there's some, are there some three by five cards on the tables? We didn't do that. Okay. That's all right. Strike two, but I'm almost done, so I don't think anything else can, can be forgotten. Uh, it's no big deal. All we were going to do is have cards on the tables, and you can write this in your journal on your piece of paper. And what I want to ask you is, what have you been saying, what have you been saying no to God about? Is it up on the screen? Okay. Two questions. The first one was, how, how have I been saying no to God? So take a second and think. And if there's anything where you've been holding God at arm's length, write it down. Now, I like action items. And I don't think it does us any good to figure out what we haven't been doing right if we don't figure out what we're going to do about it. And the next thing that I would challenge you and encourage you to do is to write down how you could say yes to God this week with regard to what you just have been saying no to. And you can just finish the statement. I will say yes this week to God by blank. And whatever that action means to you, you can think of one thing, one thing, I don't care if it's loving your wife better, taking her on a date, you know, maybe it's making sure that the internet and late night TV don't tempt you into sexual impurity, uh, maybe it's saying yes to a trip, a mission trip that you're supposed to go on, that you've been feeling God calling you into something, I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is, just say yes to something that God's been calling you to do this week. And I just want to take a minute. You guys, if you would, just just pray where you are, just you and God, just one-on-one about the things that we've just written down and ask him to empower you to do that, to do those things, and then I'll close us in prayer. Reveal to me everything about me that would have been saying no to you. And help me say yes to you. Help us say yes. Because saying yes is, is so awesome when we, when we say yes and then you use us. It's amazing. There's nothing sweeter. I'm so grateful for this place, for this church. Uh, so many tears that have been shed in here by me and other people that I care about. And so much healing, so much joy, so much life that's come from those tears from you. You're the one. You're the only hope we have. You're the only hope I have. I have nothing without you. And I ask that you'd ruin our life all over again if that's what it takes, if we're fighting you in any way. You ruined it from the world standpoint, but you gave us freedom and joy in life in your in your presence. And now we get to We get to follow you and see what you're going to do next. You're the dream giver. Help us submit our dreams to you. And to find where you are, where your heart is, and to go there. And be unafraid. We would never be the same. We would never be the same. We would never be the same. And we we would let your praise fill the earth. 
Let your praise fill the earth, Lord. Let Let it fill the earth. Let it fill the earth today in this place and as we walk out of here. In Jesus' name.